Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with my friends, Glenn Packiam and Daniel Grothy. And uh, we want to talk some today about what it means for the pastor to be an ongoing student. And I think just to set this conversation up, guys, I think that we all get it. I think if you're in pastoral ministry that includes a measure of preaching and teaching, you are a student on some level. There is study that happens um, in preparation for messages and for counseling. There's an ongoing educational component that I think is just built into the job from the first. Unfortunately, I, I do think that we all know as well that this is one of the easiest things to neglect. It's one of the first mm-hmm. things that kind of falls by the wayside. It's also a thing to be really, sometimes uh, we, be, we can become really haphazard about it. So we're not thinking carefully or thoughtfully about how we are continuing to educate ourselves. So I want to get into some of the what's and the why's and the how's here of how we maintain that sense that part of the pastoral vocation really is that we're an ongoing student. So I'm going to kick off our conversation today just by asking you, um, the both of you, because you both, um, as I've been around you and as we've walked together, uh, you both have really robust study habits that clearly come through in your pastoral ministry. So I want to talk just about how you personally came by this value. Mm. Why is it a value for you? And how did, how did you come about that? Where did it start for you? Well, I don't know how disciplined I am with it. I mean, uh, I would love later in this podcast for you to talk about your incredible discipline and the way that you read 70 books last year. 71, bro. <laughs> but but I, I will say as a value, I, I recognize that as a person giving out, I've got to take in. Yeah. But at some point, you know, maybe in my 20s, I discovered it's not just that I need input. I need the input to be of a greater quality than my desired output. Yeah. So let me me just expand that for a minute, okay? So let's just say arbitrarily I'm teaching at a level 6 out of 10, and I want to grow, and I want to teach at a level 7. Well, guess what? Mm. I need my input to be of a level 9 or a level 10 quality. And I think one of the traps for a pastor is to only listen to your peers. Yep. Yeah. And it's to only listen to people who are just right where you are. And that's okay, but we need input that, that's not necessarily quantitatively greater than our output, but absolutely it needs to be qualitatively that's greater than our output. I remember being 12 years old and my dad was 40, and uh, my twin sisters were 14, little sister was 7. So four kids, 14 and under. And my dad, working a full-time job at a church, 70 hours a week, assistant pastor and worship leader, I mean, life was full enough. Mm-hmm. He signed up to get his master's in, in music mm-hmm. and church music. And I watched my dad for those next three years work his job and lead his family and tuck us in bed and then go out to the kitchen table and get out his books and read and write his papers. And something in me as a 12-year-old just thought, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could show up at 40 and be a professional, and you could mail it in, you could work with what you have, you could sort of just coast. But something yeah. in my dad, I saw him pushing, I saw him expanding, I saw him stretching out and doing the hard work of growing, and I think it just sort of seeped into my bloodstream that if you want to be excellent, you've yep. got to stay in the game, you've yep. got to keep chasing it, you got to be hungry, do your homework, submit yourself to people who are better than you yes. so mm-hmm. that you can rise up. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. So I want to take a step back here, and I want to try to broaden our angle a little bit, or 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 maybe just come up with some definitions here. Hmm. When you think about the 
pastoral vocation. Um, you've talked about your personal journeys here, but on on the level of just definitions here, like why is being a, a, a student so important to the pastoral vocation? How do you articulate that that part of the calling? I think we as pastors, you know, our word comes from uh, shepherds who pasture a flock. Yeah, you get a you get a flock into safe pasture. Well, you've got to know how life works. Yeah, you got to know what destruction looks like. You've got to be able to sniff out a lie. Yeah, you've got to be able to show people what the good life is. Mm. And if you don't pay attention to the way the world works, if you don't pay attention to drama and crisis, if you don't pay attention to uh, what what causes the bottom to fall out of a life, yeah. then you'll never know how to lead them into green pasture. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to, to be a student, to study, to pay attention to the way the world works is the only thing that can prepare you and get you ready to shepherd people into goodness and mm-hmm. mercy and into safe pasture. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think being a student is a part of... Yeah. The role. I love that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the the old cliche, leaders are readers or readers are... Well, I don't know if every reader is a leader, but every leader should be a reader. So we get that because you can't lead if you're not seeing a horizon that's a little bit higher or further off than than the people you're trying to lead. But I think particularly for pastors, there's a sense in which we have to have a different set of lenses to the same world that our people are seeing. So we have to be able to have... Uh, lenses that make us think theologically, that help us to think this through, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What does the kingdom of God mean for the way we think about business and work and family life and all of that? And if we don't put those lenses on, uh, we're just going to be seeing the world the same way that they do. We're not going to be able to check assumptions, uh, check presuppositions, like, well, I thought we're all just supposed to be happy or, you know, whatever the case may be. What's wrong with uh, wanting to just, you know, have a better business and and this and that? Instead of saying, well, we might arrive at that conclusion, but what foundation are we starting on. Yeah, I love that. I, when I think about this, the the pastor as a student, that calling, uh, I, I we are those who have been entrusted with a message. Mm. And I think that the pastoral vocation, I remember hearing a pastor say years ago, and it really st- stuck with me. And I think it was actually part of the unfolding of my calling. He said that for for pastors, uh, our work is words. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's that's mm-hmm. what we do. And so much of our, our life and our ministry lives at the level of our perception. So there's the Romans 12, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Then you'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mind. So there's something to me, the pastor as the first student almost in the congregation, we're those that have received this tradition and are constantly pushing the barriers of our understanding so that we can communicate what God is saying to his people and what mm-hmm. he's saying right now with ever, with ever increasing clarity. And as you said, like specificity. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's the level of, of detail and the fine grain of people's lives that we know how to suss out yeah. what really is happening yeah. there because we live at the level of words. Our, our ministry is a ministry of perception and then speaking. Using into, words to introduce people to the word. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's just that's, what we, that's our currency. That's that, right. That's our tool. That's right. And to, and to name out what both of you have said so well, I've often thought, you know, the two Hebrew words for prophet might be a little insightful here. One is a seer and the other is a sayer. And so at some level, a pastor sees a different horizon than everyone else sees, sees the world differently, and then Mm -hmm. says it in a different way. So 
part of of um, you know belonging to the church is learning a new language, is acquiring yeah. a new vocabulary yep. here. Yep. Words like grace and redemption they don't come right. from anywhere else. They come from there's a, there's a particular theological meaning that we're yep. trying to impart. And somebody in the congregation has to fight for that yep. that yep. meaning because it's yep. too easy for the culture at large to mm-hmm. co-opt that language. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now the words that we have been given all of a sudden they mean something yeah. different or they resonate in a yep. way. That they wouldn't have resonated right. with believers in Christ fifteen years, fifteen hundred years ago, right. or mm-hmm. seventeen hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're fighting for yeah. an accurate perception of God's world as it lives at yes. the level of language, and and words are used to subvert yeah. mm-hmm. the the presuppositions that people mm-hmm. have sort mm-hmm. of built their lives on. You yes. have heard it said right. that right. the good life looks like make as much money mm-hmm. as yeah. you can. But I yeah. tell you, mm-hmm. blessed are those who give away money. Blessed right. are those who use their strength to lift other people up. Blessed are those who take yes. care of widows and orphans and the poor. Yeah. Ble- and so it, we're using words uh, following in the path of Jesus to turn over and to topple yeah. uh, all, the, all the false assumptions that have been erected in people's lives. Yeah, there's another issue I think here too, and part of it, and we've drawn attention to it a little bit, part of it is, do we have pastoral ministries? Because we have been given something, entrusted with something, are we engaged in the kinds of habits that allow us to have pastoral ministries that uh, are answerable to or submitted to the faith of the church? And that, for me, that's a core driver Mm -hmm. for me, that I want to make sure that my own thinking is being, yes, Mm -hmm. that I can lay that at the feet of the greats. And say, is this a right way to pattern my, my language? Yeah, that's, yeah. so that's it's, massive. it's about can my stuff? Does my stuff pass muster? Yeah, yeah. I'm not in school anymore, so I'm not handing right, my right. sermons Who into preaching professors or my papers into professors. So I need to be able to hand my ministry into Augustine. Yes, right. <laughs> that's you great. Know, or to, <laughs> if or I were to, to stand whoever. up in the room yeah. of the greats, what yes. would they preach? What would yeah. they say? Would they would they hear a gospel that makes sense to them? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In a way, you're saying be a student because this faith. is... Is a received faith. Yes, you're you're you're, you're not uh, you're not you don't want to be doing anything that's truly creative in the sense that you're you're making this up. No, you shouldn't right. be the first one yeah. to talk this way about yeah. God or to talk right. this way about the. Faith. We are the apprentices yeah. with dusty robes, following in the yeah. steps of the rabbis yeah. who've gone in front of us. Yes, and if I'm about to introduce something novel, which God help me, I hope I never right. do. <laughs> right. But I ought to be very aware. <laughs> tremble. Uh, uh, yes, I ought. There ought to be some fear and trembling that yeah. I know who I'm pushing off from and why I'm pushing off from mm-hmm. it. But mostly we're given something, yeah. I yes. think. And it's our job to hand that on yes. in ways that resonate with the people of our day. But but it's, we've been given something. Yes. It's worth saying, okay, so what kinds of things are we talking about here as sources, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we go right away to books. But I recognize that for today's pastor with all kinds of crazy demands. You know, you're expected to be an expert CEO leader. Yep. You're expected to be a biblical scholar and all this. Stuff. So let's just name. Yeah. Yeah. Again, a psychologist <laughs> who knows the inner workings of every human soul, you know, let's name here some other sources that can be helpful. I mean, I personally have, have really enjoyed listening to some podcasts yeah. mm-hmm. like this one, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, iTunes U mm-hmm. is a treasure trove. Yep. I mean, some of the greatest seminaries in the world have just to be able to compete, to be mm-hmm. able to be uh, uh, accessible to people. Yes. They've given their greatest professors mm-hmm. and their greatest classes for free yep. online. You can go and, and submit yourself to these greatest teachers, and you're in one of their lectures with them. YouTube. Yes. Do it. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's staggering. 
It's amazing, it's amazing what you can find. There. Staggering yeah. the level of content. I want to shift directions here. Well, with, one uh, more the conversation. One, go. One more site that you you've done some work for. We've all done some work for is NT Right oh, Online. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, my wife is watching a course on Paul right now as yes. she's on the treadmill in the mornings. Yes. You know, it's like the, you can do this. You can fit this in in different places. Anyone today, and it's stretching you yes. in ways that look. Are you going to go teach a, a seminary level course on Paul? No, but you should drink from those waters, yeah, right. So that when you you know open up Ephesians or Colossians. You've got yeah. a different lens now. Yeah. Yes, yes. And there's so much work that's being done to put uh, some of the... I, when I think about uh, N.T. Wright, I mean, I remember reading N.T. Wright uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago, and some of his more scholarly stuff. In the last 15 years, they've done so much work taking all of that yeah. and and yeah. sort of iterating that at different yeah. levels so that it's accessible. So uh, I think that uh, pastors these days, I think that we're without excuse. Yeah. Take advantage of all the resources that are out there. I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about... Uh, just what what do your personal study habits look like, guys? Like, how do you build study into your week, and how does that figure for you? And then also, how do you kind of determine what to read? Why why it's important? Is this totally an intuition thing, or do you have horizons that you're trying to expand? How does that how does that work for you? So let's get into that a little bit. I think you know, on a, on, on terms of a rhythm, I, I generally, and I think a lot of us do this around here, is we try to keep the mornings open. Um, I think there's a good uh, amount of research to show that our minds are fertile, the most fertile in the mornings, you yeah. know, and so try to keep the first few hours of the day where I can read something or write something, take notes on something. The The trick is to be able to devote at least a couple hours every week to study that is not sermon related, Yeah, right? I mean, that's, uh, that, that's a big part of it. And so... Um, why don't you jump in here, Daniel, and we can come back to the other parts of the question. Yeah, when when all you're doing is taking in and uh, and the cranking back out, mm-hmm. it, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. it becomes functional, it mm-hmm. becomes utilitarian, mm-hmm. it becomes, and I think there actually, I've uh, experienced seasons like this where I feel a displeasure in my own soul. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. this... I'm not letting this simmer in me. I'm yeah. not. I'm not letting anything stew. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm digesting and immediately cranking back out. Yeah. And so I think to be able to submit yourself over to uh, the pleasure of reading, the 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 pleasure of learning, mm-hmm. that is um, on the side. Uh, it, it's not just directly useful yes. uh, to your preaching. Mm-hmm. We we need to have something that's stirring our souls. Mm-hmm. Something that. Uh, is making us better, and so for me, I found that uh, late at night—that's the—that's mm. the stuff where I'm investing in myself. I'm yeah. finding in the morning I—I've got work to do, yeah. and I know yeah. the clock is yeah. ticking, and yeah. I know the Same. day in front of me, yeah. and so I've got to be productive in the morning for my work, and then at night I'm making investments in Daniel Wilson Grophy, <laughs> the human being who has desires and who—who who, uh, so I'm reading poetry and I'm—I'm yeah. I'm chasing down other stuff that is just sort of on the side that is making me a better human being yeah. so that I'm preaching from a place of wholeness. I like that that idea of the end of the day because then you're kind of going into sleep with new ideas. You yes. sort of sloughed off the functionality of yes. the day and now yeah. I'm going into sleep with new thoughts. My children are in bed <laughs> Yes, yeah. and the next two or three hours I have space yeah. to begin to 
to be a human and dream about what brings me to life yes. and make investments in that direction. And you have no idea what's going to happen in those next eight hours when you're sleeping at the level yeah. of the subconscious yeah. connections that are going to be making. I'm <laughs> yep. sure there are a lot of mornings there you go. bound out of Woo! bed. Ready to write something. It's like Paul McCartney write writing a song <laughs> yeah. in his sleep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mine, so my study habits are a little bit flipped from yours. Mine, I find that my mind and my heart are most open right away in the morning. Yeah. So. My study habits will follow hard on the heels of a devotional time, so time yeah. of prayer and mm -hmm. worship, and I'm already kind of in a reading, yep. open-minded sort of space. And that's usually when I'll start barreling into some devotional text. I love the classic devotional text, mm -hmm. The Cloud of Unknowing, mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila, Henry Nouwen. And then I'll also do some theological reading mm -hmm. right away in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I just want to start my day out. Yep with the thoughts of mm -hmm. God, the great thoughts, mm -hmm. and then hopefully then I'm coming out of that space into, into whatever work. sermon yep. prep yep. and work, and I'm thinking about that thing that I read But this that means you're starting with. at 5 or 5.30, yeah, right? I'm a 5.36. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. not talking that early when I said morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm kind of like, I'm a little bit of a hybrid here, because between the two of you guys, like a mix between the two of you, the, the, my mornings, it is usually sermon content-related yeah. reading. yeah. And then maybe late in the afternoon, I might take the last hour of the day. I kind of need to recharge after a day of meetings yeah. or appointments and would read something that I want to learn about. So I'm, I'm yeah. reading a book on the Trinity. This is at soccer and, practice, right? Exactly. Jonas in is the out car. playing soccer and you're in the car. I see you, Glenn, over there. I'm just, I gotta <laughs> read. Pounding. Let me just get one chapter in right now. I'll come home a better man. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, and then at night, I usually read a different category of book, like yeah. e either a history or a biography or something yeah. you describe the pleasures of, of mm -hmm. reading, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for me, evenings are that for sure. Something historical or fiction or biography or something like that, if I can get it. So usually for me, it winds up being a couple solid hours, I think, of reading a day if it was cumulative. Yeah. And uh, it turns out, I we were joking before the podcast started, I've so I've always been a really avid reader. And then I kind of surprised myself this year. <laughs> 71 books. Some outrageous on, amount of books. Right but now. I actually did become more disciplined and it wasn't more work. It was just that I was more purposeful about the space that I was using. Yeah. And you look back on it, you go, wow, we covered a lot of territory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it just winds up kind of happening that way. And when all I, of it goes somewhere. I mean, here we are are entrusted with the most beautiful story in yeah. all of the world. Yeah. And I think Eugene Peterson and different artists and poets along the way would say, if you have been given the most beautiful story in the world, totally. you've got to tell it beautifully. Yes. Yeah. And so the yes. reason why we submit ourselves to these wordsmiths is because they help us tell the story that yes. we tell yeah. with, with all the seriousness of the Holy Spirit and with all the joy of the artist and with all the vigor of the poet. And yeah, yeah. We, we want to tell the story well and not just... I, I've been through so many sermons in my early days where I just thought... Does this person even believe this or right. care? Right. Like, do, where is the pathos? Where yeah. Where is the yeah. pulse of God's yeah. life in this? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just determined that that we not stand up and be the people who tell the greatest story in a mechanical in a sleepy way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. So, question here. I, I hear from both of you different categories of reading, which I I think about myself too. Like, okay, what's a theology read? What's a you know I, I don't read poetry or, or fiction too much, but you know we have two or three different categories we're thinking through, but. Do you also ever think through like what season 
you know, one of the things I find um, myself doing is just almost like asking the Lord, Lord, is there something I need? Like, I got a little stack right. of books I want to try to get to this year, but which one is the now book? Yeah. You know, mm. like, which book is, is really for a season that I'm in right now? And, and I'll end up picking one or two of those, and, and yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be meditating on. Did you ever do that? I do. I absolutely. Yeah. I finished my master's last year, and Glenn, you gave me the great gift of the dream team, <laughs> the book. <laughs> Just chronicling the 1992 freaking dream team. And I'm a, I played basketball in college, and so it just took me to this happy place. And I was coming out of seven years of mandatory reading, yeah, mandatory right. writing, late nights yeah. while I'm working a full-time job. And I needed to... I've heard this from several people who finished seminary. They needed yeah. to learn how to fall back in That's love it. with leisurely reading. Yeah. Mm. And so for me to jump into, you know... Uh, Some- Theology, yeah. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. It just <laughs> yeah. wasn't the right time. Yeah, right. and so I think you have to pay attention to who you are, yeah. where you are, what's been going on in right. your life, what's going to bring you to life in yeah. this moment. Well, this is what your question is: Why, uh, for me, I have to guard against my reading being totally utilitarian. Mm. So I don't do a lot of theological type reading at night because that becomes it just becomes for me one more. Uh, it's the pastoral vocation all of a sudden gobbling up everything. Yeah, right. Like mm. I, some of the reading is just, I just want to feel alive. Yeah, you're a human being. <laughs> just, I mean, yeah. human being. Enjoying it. I want to read a story about an interesting person or I just want to mm. read a, a good story or I need to go and I need to, I need to encounter. That's the, that we, my kids and I were just talking about this last night. The whole joy of reading yes. is that it, it, it permits you access to times and places and people that yes. you would have never been able to encounter on your own. And yes. so I wander off with some old text, world, a piece of poetry yeah. or a story, and I find that a whole new field of perception is open to me. So it can't, for me, that, that that's always live for me in the evening reading cannot be utilitarian. It can't yes. be towards some end. Yeah. It has to just be the end is enjoyment. The end yes. is yes. the delight is in the doing. Yeah. The enemy of all this stuff, I mean, for me anyway, is my phone. Right. I mean, mm. when, I, when I came on staff here, I, I used to carry a book around with yeah, me everywhere. Right. And <laughs> if they carry were, a phone. <laughs> I would carry my phone. I mean, I remember I would show up to like a lunch staff meeting yeah. and, and I, well, the small talk was going out, pull out C.S. Lewis, Lewis and corner. start reading right. a couple yeah. of pages. Now it's like oh, scanning Twitter. Yeah. Scan. So right. something is taking up that time. Something yeah. is taking up that headspace. Something is feeding our heart. We might as well make it good stuff. We might as well be proactive and choose the sources that are nourishing us since we're the people that are giving out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I want to encourage pastors here, this has been a huge benefit to me. I, you know, growing up in the non-denominational charismatic world, we just had no sense of connection to the, to the history of the church. And I remember, uh, you know, you just, in your reading, you'll see, you know, you see whoever you're reading is quoting somebody from a thousand years ago and you go, that person, that what they're saying there is interesting. I wonder if the rest of what they're saying is interesting. And one of the things I've found is that, uh, accessing the great cloud of witnesses yep. is one of the best things that you can do. And there was a there's a little essay that C.S. Lewis wrote at one point, um, which was tagged into the beginning of St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis, he's brilliant. He has this comment where he says, um, most of the books that are written about old authors are far less interesting than the old authors themselves. Yeah. And most people will find that if you just grab one of those ancient texts and sit down with a pencil and a pipe, you can yeah. get through a tough <laughs> bit of theology yeah. and it'll be a real benefit to yeah. you. So a big encouragement that I always make to pastors is uh, don't just read the stuff that was written in the last 15 right. years or so. Right. Access the ancients. They're there for you. Mm-hmm. That's part of, I think, how we sit at the at the feet of the great cloud the of witnesses. great cloud of literary witnesses. For sure. Submit. Yes.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you.